We were thinking this morning about the significance of the lily and seeking to connect it with four particular psalms that are found in the word of God where that same title that appears over in the Song of Solomon so often is found at the start of four particular psalms in the book of Psalms and the first one is Psalm 45 and each one of these Psalms will emphasize something different about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and they're outlined on the subject titles for uh, the week but there is a particular emphasis in each Psalm for example this Psalm here this evening before us and the first part of it deals with Christ the Sovereign and we're going to come to think about that just in a moment or two. We're going to go on then to think about the sovereign and his bride. In the latter part of the psalm, you got a little flavour of it there in verse 9, where we finished our reading. King's daughters were among thy honourable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. And there's introduced the, the queen. The king has been spoken about the monarch. And then we have his bride as well. And we're going to think about what that has to say, God willing, tomorrow night. And then in Psalm 60, we mentioned that psalm briefly this morning. And there again in uh, the title of it, there is this reference to the lily. But throughout the, the 60th psalm, we're going to think about Christ, the succorer of his people. The one who comes alongside them in difficulties and in times of need. And down through that 60th psalm, we're going to think about the Saviour in, in that particular way. And then on, on to Psalm 69. We didn't mention uh, these other two Psalms this morning, but if you turn up that Psalm again, you'll see the title. It's the plural form of it. We mentioned that this morning, the distinction between the spellings here, between the Psalms. One is in the singular and the other is in the plural. And when you come to Psalm 69, it's a lengthy uh, Psalm. And at the beginning of that Psalm, you'll find that term as well to the chief musician upon Shoshanim, a psalm of David. And Shoshanim is this word for lilies in uh, the plural. And in Psalm 69, we're going to think about the Saviour again. And also, not only the Saviour, but then the sacrifice and the substitute. All of those are found down through that lengthy psalm. A psalm of the cross. And we highlighted a little bit this morning that in, in the Christ is in the Old Testament. We, we are not of that opinion that somehow the cross was an afterthought with God and that only uh, came into existence because somehow the Christ was was rejected as being king and therefore he, he decided to do something different and he, he brought the church into existence. Christ and his sufferings are in the Old Testament. And we need to find them. Now the disciples missed that. You think of those times when the Lord Jesus repeatedly sought to explain to them what was going to happen in going up to Jerusalem. And they missed that. They could only see the glory and they didn't realise that the sufferings had to come before the glory. And Peter even took the Lord Jesus and, and told them to spare himself, not go to the cross, not suffer. And the Lord Jesus had to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. But isn't it interesting then when you go over to Peter's epistles that when Peter was writing some years later he got the order right and then his letters there he speaks about the Saviour and then he says the sufferings and the glory that you follow. Peter got it right then alright. And that's how we ought to look upon Christ wherever we come in the scriptures. We're going to look for the sufferings first then we're going to look for the glory that comes hereafter. 
that's the pattern that is to be set down and Psalm 69 is a wonderful uh, psalm of the cross and we'll, we'll think about that there's many quotations even from that psalm in the New Testament in reference to the sufferings of Christ so we're going to look at it we're going to take two nights to look at that particular uh, psalm psalm uh, Wednesday night and Thursday night and then Friday night we're going to finish off with Psalm 80 God willing and again if you go over there and look at the title you'll see it in the, the plural form it's much like the one that we've thought about today already Psalm 45 it has that word Edith as well to it and here's another wonderful lily psalm that has to do with Christ and as you'll see from the opening verse it's a psalm to do with the shepherd oh give ear give ear O shepherd of Israel and we can think about the Lord being the shepherd of his people and God willing will come to do that uh, on Friday night as the week progresses so do remember the meetings pray for them that the Lord might bless his word and even give liberty in the preaching as we come to consider his truth night by night but we're coming back to Psalm 45 in the opening part of this particular psalm and we're going to think about Christ the sovereign here it was Spurgeon who said about Psalm 45 some here see Solomon and Pharaoh's daughter only they are short sighted others see both Solomon and Christ they are cross eyed well focused spiritual eyes see here Jesus only Amen. and that's how we ought to look upon this psalm here we see Jesus only and we're going to see him as the sovereign and I trust that as we do so the Lord will bless his heart we want to do it in a particular way because as I mentioned this morning in the title it tells us that it is a psalm of loves so this is a love psalm that is, has been written by uh, the psalmist so we're, it's no surprise then in the very opening uh, few words of the psalm the heart is spoken of the heart is the seat of affection it's going to be the seat of our love we might say to somebody we love them with all our heart and, and we're, we're, we're meaning our whole being our, the whole individual we, we, we love someone well the psalmist here starts off in these opening words to do with the heart so it's a psalm of the heart as well and we're going to think about uh, Christ sitting upon the throne of our heart that's really where we want to get to tonight that as we think about Christ that we love him so much that he sits upon the throne of our heart and he has all of our heart that's why I said that that hymn was so applicable to what we want to think about tonight that uh, Charles Wesley had written because if we know Christ as he is revealed in the word of God and set before us here in this particular psalm well then we want him to rule upon we want him to sit upon the throne of our hearts we want him to rule in, in our lives I want you first of all here to consider an expressive heart an expressive heart and I want to pick up on that word indicting that you find there my heart is indicting a good matter I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So this is how the psalm has come into existence. There is a desire to express how he feels. He wants to put it down on, on the page. He wants it to, to, to survive even his own lifetime. If you've got a margin in your Bible as well, you'll find what that word indicting means. I see that when we sign it there in the, the hymnal, there's a little... Uh, 
definition given at the bottom of the psalm as well about this word indicting. But I want you to notice what is there in the margin, if you've got a margin of your Bible against the word indicting. It tells you there in the margin that the word means boileth or bubbleth up. And it is indeed very expressive, very expressive picture. There, there's something that, that will cause whatever liquid it is to boil. Or if there's a, a, a spring that is bubbling up, there's something that's causing that spring to, to bubble up. And it's the same with, with a heart that's, that's boiling up or bubbling up with love and devotion to Christ. Something has brought that about. That's not natural. That's not something that comes of ourselves. Because as we know, naturally we do not have any love for Christ. We do not have any desire to honour him. We do not have any desire to give him uh, that rightful place in our lives. It's not a natural thing to put Christ upon the throne of your heart and let him rule your life. We, we naturally want ourselves there and sin alongside ourselves. That's what we want upon the throne of our heart. So if someone else is there and Christ is there, then some change has to take place. And that is found here in this word indicting. There is something that's causing the liquid to boil or to bubble and the same picture is taken here by the psalmist and he says that's exactly how I feel about the king he says I want to talk about the king and it's, it's just bubbling up within me it's overflowing there's such a work has been done in our hearts and in our lives that there, there is this express, expression that is given then but if you turn over to John's gospel chapter 14 for a moment Sorry, John's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 14. We think about the words of the Lord Jesus and what he said here on this occasion when he was in conversation with the widow or with the woman of Samaria. John chapter 4, verse 14. Whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So here's the source of the spring. The psalmist speaks there about that which is bubbling up within him or boiling up within him. So where's the source? Well, the Lord Jesus here tells us that if we are those who have come and we've drunk of that life-giving water, we have drunk of Christ himself. Then he says, that water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up. Springing up into life everlasting. So it is the work of Christ within our hearts is going to cause there to be this springing up, this bubbling up that we'll, we'll want to find expression, we'll want to give expression to our thoughts and that's why it's always very important to, to praise the Lord and to sing His praises as part of worship now preaching we know is the primary part of worship the Lord teaches us that in His word but part of worship is also praise because there's the opportunity for us to give vent to how we feel and we sing his praises and the words give expression to our own thoughts at times maybe we have favourite hymns because there's something in those in those hymns or the psalms that, that phrases and thoughts and themes that uh, 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 particularly resonate with us and, and they become a favourite because they're, they're giving voice to how we feel at certain times and maybe we sometimes get a new favourite hymn because Something happens in life or something and, and the sentiments of another hymn or sound become a blessing to us. How important it is to give that to this thought that we, we, we know the Lord, we love the Lord, 
and we want to make it known that that we love the Lord. And may the Lord indeed so stir our hearts even tonight that we give expression to how we feel and praise Him for all that He has done for us. It tells us there that this is a good matter. My heart is indicting a good matter. And there's no better matter to speak about than Jesus Christ. No better subject, no better theme to dwell on, to tell others about. There might be many things that we we speak about, some we have to talk about, others maybe we could do well with not talking about. And yet they become our theme sometimes and the subject of conversation. But the very best of subject matter that we could ever speak about is the person of Jesus Christ. And the Lord does take notice, Christian. The Lord takes notice. Remember those words in, in Malachi. It tells us there that they that feared, Malachi chapter 3 verse 16, then they that feared the Lord speak often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard him. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. The Lord takes note of his people when they speak about him, when they make much of him, when they praise him, when they exalt him, when they tell others about him when they have a conversation even with fellow believers and the Lord is the topic of their conversation that's a good matter and the Lord takes note of what he says and a book of remembrance the Lord's going to reward why else would there be a book of remembrance written if the Lord isn't willing to reward those with regards to what is written in that book of remembrance and we know there is a day of reward coming and the Lord is going to honour those who speak of it He's going to remember those who have spoken of Christ in their life and made him a topic of their conversation. And this is the very best of subject matter that we could ever think about or that we could ever speak about. But what is it that he's particularly wanting to think about? Well, it tells us there in verse 1 of the psalm that it's about the king, touching the king. This is what he particularly wants to speak about. Of all the thoughts that he could have about Christ, he wants to speak particularly about him as the king. Now there's three ways that you can think about Jesus Christ as king. He's first of all a king of nations. He's king of nations. We're told that in, in um, Jeremiah and chapter 10. There's that title that is given to the Lord there in Jeremiah chapter 10 and it's verse 7. And that verse reads, Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like unto to thee. King of nations. There's only one king of nations. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And one day he will be seen to be king of nations. He's coming in power and great glory and every knee shall bow before him. And all the nations of the world will then know that he is indeed king. That he is this great king. But he's also king of of saints. He's king of saints. Revelation chapter 15 gives us that little piece of, of information there. In the word of God. Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God. Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. You see, the Lord has a claim to sit upon the throne of our hearts tonight. He's got a claim. 
It's not that somehow he has no right to sit upon the throne of our hearts. He does. He's got a right because he's our creator. He's king of nations and therefore he ought to be king of every life. Sit upon the throne of every life. But when we think about the, the sin that has entered the world and the rebellious heart that has found in us all by nature, the Lord redeems a people and saves a people and he makes them saints. The word saints comes from the word to be holy. And the Lord has saved us made us holy ones that's what it is to be seen every believer is a saint we don't believe in special saints every believer is a saint in God's eyes the Lord is making them holy progressively by the work of sanctification within them he's making them holy and he's king of saints and he sits upon the throne of their lives or ought to sit upon the throne of their lives and have full sway the psalm as we'll come to see in a moment or two speaks about the scepter and the scepter is the symbol of his of his rule and Christ ought to sit upon our lives we ought to be his willing subjects you, you think of I suppose it, it reached around the world certainly back home when Queen Elizabeth the second died there just a little while ago and there was a great outpouring of emotion and acknowledgement of her reign and there were people who filed past, I'm sure you saw something of it on, on news reports and there were those, some who travelled quite a distance some who went over from Northern Ireland to, to London to be there and to file past and there was such a, an outpouring of emotion because of, of who she was and, and her reign and, and the example that she was to many of, of service and, and dedication. Well, how much more ought that to be with regards to the Christian in Christ? It ought to be known that Christ sits upon the throne of our lives. When people come into contact with us, they, they ought to glean that much from us. There's somebody who, who is in subjection to Jesus Christ, and gladly so, that we're not chomping against his, his rule and his reign in our lives and his will being done in our lives, and we yield to that. It's not sometimes the way we would go in life. It's not the path that we would choose, but we're willing to yield to his way because he's our king. We acknowledge him. He's king of saints. And then also three times in the New Testament there is that third title that is given to Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings. It's first of all found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 referring to the Lord as King of Kings and then twice here in the book of the Revelation if you've got that still open before you. Chapter 17 verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb and the Lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful I would point out to you tonight that that verse reflects the psalm that we're thinking about tonight and tomorrow night there's the king and his his bride there are those that are with him there in Revelation 17 verse 14 that are mentioned there's mention made of of the king he's lord of lords he's king of kings but then it says there's those that are with him and they're called and chosen and faithful. And those are descriptions for the people of God. And then chapter 19, I suppose, is the one maybe that we associate most of all with this wonderful title. It's in capital letters. 
in our, our English Bible, chapter 19 of Revelation. And there's this vision that John had of the one on the white horse. Heaven was open, verse 11, and he saw the white horse and him that sat upon the white horse. And there's a number of titles and descriptions here that are given. And when we come down to verse 16, he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no other king but Christ. In the truest sense, in the ultimate sense, there is no other king but Christ. May that be seen in our lives. There's, there's no one else that rules our lives like Christ. So this is the subject matter that the psalmist is here uh, speaking about and, and wanting to to address the very best of subject matter. As I say, he wants to put it into to writing as well. The end of verse 1 of Psalm 45, he says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. He's not short of words. The thought here is of somebody writing quickly. There's plenty of words that flow. He's not lost for words. There's, there's not that he's, he's, he's struggling for something to say. That Christ means nothing to him. And therefore, he doesn't have a lot to say about the Lord Jesus. You know, he says, my, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I've got plenty to say on this matter. I'm not short of words. You know, it would be hard to describe someone that you don't know. Maybe you only met for the first time. Or you only had met a few times and <coughs> very much in their, in their company. It would be very hard to speak at any length of that person if you were asked to do so. But speak about somebody that you've known for a long time. Speak about somebody that you're in their company regularly. You know their character. You know their thoughts. You, you could speak much free, uh, much more freely. You could write, oh, quite a, uh, a lot then about somebody that you know much more about. And surely that's suggested here. He's not talking about a stranger here. Somebody he doesn't know. If he's going to, to be... Uh, like this and his tongue is the pen of a ready, uh, a ready writer and he's much to say it would suggest to us that he knows this person and has known him for some time and therefore he's going to be able to speak about him and may the Lord indeed give us a tongue like a ready writer about Christ that we have, that we have much to say about him but he, he's not a stranger to us remember Job in Job 19 those words that are spoken there about the Redeemer where he spoke about the, the one who would stand upon the earth at the latter day in Job 19 verse 25 I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God Job knew Christ and he knew about a day of resurrection as well. But it's verse 27 I'm thinking about. Whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another. Not another. And if you've got a margin in your Bible, look against the word not another, not a stranger. Why could Job speak about him? He wasn't a stranger to Job. Job knew him. That's why he can speak about him. That's why he can speak about him so confidently. He says, he's not a stranger to me. 
It's not just an ordinary individual that I've only some fleeting acquaintance with. I know this individual and I can speak about this individual and what he's going to do in a future day. And Job could look down the corridors of time and look to the day of resurrection. Not another, not a stranger. And may Christ be no stranger to us. But may we be those who know him and who walk with him and who fellowship with him and commune with him. And then we'll have the tongue of our tongue will be the pen of a ready writer. Oh that the Lord would give us such uh, an expressive heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I also take you back over to Song of Solomon in, in this regard and thinking about this uh, expressive heart? Because we pointed out this morning how often that term lily appears in the Song of Solomon. And you may even be ahead of me here thinking about that question that appears in chapter 5 of Song of Solomon. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charges? So this question is asked her. She's, she's searching for her beloved. In verse 8, Psalm, uh, Psalm of Solomon 5 and verse 8, I charge you, daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. So there's a, there's a connecting thought. The psalm that we're looking at has this title, uh, A Song of Loves. And here's the, the, the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon. And she's saying that she's sick of love. She's looking for her loved one, her darling, and she can't find him. And she's asking these daughters, uh, these women of Jerusalem, have you, have you seen him? And then they're asking her, well, well, what's your beloved more than another beloved? What's special about him? Well, was she lost for words? Was she struggling to describe him? Not at all. And there starts there in verse 10, a wonderful description that you have of the beloved. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousands. And the whole way down, we're not going to read all of those verses, but then we get right down to the last verse of the chapter. His, his mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Amen. O daughters of Jerusalem. Not lost for words. May we not be lost for words when it comes to speaking of Christ the King. Of the one who rules and reigns in our heart. And sometimes honestly we have to maybe confess that we we, we don't speak of Christ the way we are. And I say that to myself as much as I say it to you. We don't speak of Christ the way we are. We don't set him forth as the King. Maybe sometimes we're just ashamed to do, embarrassed to do, when we shouldn't be. Or may we be open and up front and, and be wanting to find opportunities to tell others of Christ and what he means to us. That we could say with the Shulamite, this, this is my beloved, this is my friend. This is the one who means so much to me. Or may the Lord so work on our hearts, even tonight. Give us the pen of a, give us the tongue of the pen of a ready writer. We, we could pursue that thought a little, a little bit more even. Than, that, that word ready has the idea of being diligent. It's found in Proverbs 22, 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. It's also used of Ezra. And we know that Ezra was a preacher. 
and how he he was a priest, but he he couldn't function as a priest. There was no temple, and he was in uh, the land of captivity. But he 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 was taught the word of God, and he he became the a, a preacher. He was the scribe. It's, it's Ezra seven verse six speaks about him as a as a scribe, and the word ready is, is there. He he was diligent. That's what the word means. He was he was diligent. It wasn't it wasn't lackadaisical or carefree attitude to these things and certainly we ought not to have such an attitude when we think about our saviour and speaking about him we better move on a little bit further i want you also to think about an adoring heart not only an expressive heart but an adoring heart here in the song of loves again thinking about how these words are set before us. For example, in verse 2, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. There's an adoring heart here. Not just a, a heart that wants to express certain things, but also there's there's adoration. And the adoration of, of our Saviour is important. To, to adore him just to adore him he's the fairest of them all we read that in Song of Solomon he's the chiefest among ten thousands that there is there is none like him in all his loveliness and all the beauty that there is because he it tells us there in, in verse 2 he's fairer than the children of men there's no flaws in Jesus Christ there, there's flaws in us all even in the best of people there's flaws there's not a perfect individual amongst us and no matter how much God's grace has tried in our lives we know that nobody has to tell us that we, you feel that yourself you feel your own feelings and shortcomings and you're conscious of them and the devil will soon tell you of them as well that there's plenty of shortcomings and failures there's no shortcomings in Jesus Christ there's not a flaw in him no man ever spake like Christ and the people that were listening to the saviour during his earthly ministry were able to detect that they immediately and it said that after the, the Sermon on the Mount and we quoted a little bit from that this morning but it wasn't said at the end of his ministry when they had a long time to observe him and listen to him they said that at the very beginning of his earthly ministry no man ever spake like this man he taught them not like the scribes and the Pharisees but he taught them with authority there was something in the way the Saviour spoke it made them to detect immediately this man is different this man is no ordinary man no one ever loved like Christ there's those examples of it none better than how he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha that home in Bethany that he always wanted to visit and how they loved him those words that were sent when Lazarus was sick behold he whom thou lovest that's what they told the Lord they knew that would be enough to move the heart of the Lord he didn't come and they wanted him and thought he should but the Lord come uh, the Lord came and did a marvellous thing in raising Lazarus but no one ever loved like Christ 
No one's ever as faithful as Christ. Our best friends will can fail us and will fail us sometimes. They, they only can go so far. They only can go so far. But Christ, He never fails. He can go all the way. It's a few years ago that I was looking after the Tyndale congregation and there was some gentleman there, he was, face, he was going to face major surgery he since gone home to glory cancer surgery and I went in to, to visit him uh, before the surgery and then I was in after him afterwards visiting him again and he, he said to me afterwards he said, uh, when he was recovering he says, you know, when I was going down the corridor and they were wheeling me down to the theatre he says, my brother, he, he wasn't married he said, uh, my brother went with me but he says, he only could go so far and we got to the doors of the theatre and the porter said, I'm sorry, you can't come any further. It's only the patient and, and us. And what he said to me was, he said, you know, that might have been true of my brother, but he says it wasn't true of Christ. For he was able to go with me through those doors. And with me through the surgery. And I remember going home thinking that it was a wonderful illustration. It really challenged me. I got blessed. Talk about going and visiting people in the main ministry gets blessed. I have a thought. But I certainly went home that day blessed just with that thought of what he said. And how crystal clear he was. Because he, he wasn't a man that really was given to open expression and, and didn't take part in prayer meetings or anything. So in many ways I was surprised that he would he would open up and speak like that, but it just meant so much to him. But isn't it a reminder tonight about the faithfulness of Christ? He's the brother, the friend that sticketh closer than the brother. And the Lord is ever faithful. He's the fairest. He's fairer than the children of men. Grace has poured into his lips. There's none as gracious as Christ. And you and I, if we know Christ tonight, are the recipients of that grace. In Psalm of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 13 it says, His lips like lilies dropping sweet smelling mud. Shulamite there, that portion that we mentioned where she was asked, what is your beloved more than another beloved? She spoke about his lips and she spoke about the lilies there too. His lips like lilies dropped in sweet smelling myrrh. There's grace poured into his lips. I'm sure we could testify tonight to, to words of comfort that the Lord has whispered to us. Maybe you've, been, you've come through trials and troubles of of one sort or another and the Lord has drawn near and as he whispered a word of comfort, a word of cheer maybe a verse of scripture has come to you did, did that just come of itself did, was it your thinking or my thinking brought that or was it the Lord that brought it to, to me that's why it's always important to memorize the scriptures and to learn them as, as children and young people that's the easiest time to learn as any school teacher will tell you your mind's like a little sponge and so, sometimes soaking up things you shouldn't be but if you're soaking up the right things and you memorize the scriptures and there's that whole bank of knowledge of the word of God that the Lord can then bring back to your memory and he can speak a word and it's just as if something gracious drops from his lips and encourages you Maybe through the preaching of God's word. The Lord gives the servant 
uh, a word from God. It just, just fits your circumstances. That's why it's always important to pray for the preacher. That the Lord gives the very words that just suit somebody's circumstances in the congregation. Because the preacher doesn't know everything that's going on in somebody's life. Maybe things you can't even speak about to anybody. But God in heaven does. And God in heaven can give the preacher a word. He might know who it's for. He might know the significance of the words that are that he's speaking, but they're given by the Lord. And it's just like a, a gracious word spoken. It encourages you, it strengthens you. So there is an adoring heart that is here in verse 2. And then I want us to come on, take the rest of this section, verse 3 down to uh, verse 8, really. Um, we're going to think about a praising heart because he particularly mentions three things here about the king that he wants to give praise for. First of all, verses 3, 4, and 5, he wants to give praise for the glories of the king's victories. It says there, Gird thy sword, verse 3, upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory, and uh, thou most mighty with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. He's thinking here about victories that the king will win. Victories to do with, with truth and meekness and righteousness. Oh, verse 5, thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, for by the people fall under thee. The king is a victorious king. And we can think about that in the general sense of Christ. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. But I, I want to, to narrow that down a little bit and think about Christ as the King, subduing your heart if you know Christ tonight. Because that's why you're Christ tonight. That's why you're saved tonight. The King subdued your heart. He won a victory. We speak about Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And if you know the definition of Christ as king from the shorter catechism you'll, you'll, you'll know that that thought is there about him subduing a people unto himself a hard hearted people, a rebellious people a disinterested people and yet he subdues a people and he brings them unto himself the Lord has won a battle in regards to your life and my life tonight and if you're not saved well may he win that battle even tonight those within our families that are not seeing our loved ones and those who are near and dear to us. There's, there's a battle that needs to be won in, uh, in their lives because they're, they're resisting, they're fighting against the Lord. They're not yielding to Him and we need the Lord to so uh, progress that battle that He subdues them unto Himself. That's the greatest personal battle that you and I could ever be involved in. One that we're defeated in and we don't get the victory. And do we get the victory where we're on the road to hell? And we want that battle where Christ gets the victory in our lives. Where he has saved us and subdued our rebellious spirits and brought us on to himself. And there's arrows that he uses. The picture here is of an expert bowman. And the arrows are shot out from the, the, the bow and verse 5 tells us about them being sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Well, wasn't there arrows of God's word that pierced our hearts on one day? We can go back and think about when we were converted. 
coming under conviction of sin and those were sharp arrows sharp arrows that pierced our heart and we felt the impact of them they were the means of bringing us down to defeat at the feet of Christ and yet that defeat is the greatest victory that ever could be known because we, we were brought to Christ if you look then in verses 6 and 7 there's he's giving praise here for his, righteous, uh, his righteousness in, in government he speaks about the throne being forever and ever the scepter being a right, a right scepter loving righteousness hating wickedness therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows rejoicing in righteous government again that, that is not natural to any heart we, we, are te- we have the tendency and our heart is to rejoice in sin left to ourselves that's where we will rejoice in that's why the, the ungodly love their, love their sin and love rejoicing in it it's just the natural inclination of the human heart but here, here's a heart that is different here's a heart that's rejoicing in God's throne here's a heart that is rejoicing in a scepter of righteousness God's holiness wants to see righteousness extended and acknowledging that he is a God who a king, a sovereign who loves righteousness and hates wickedness it grieves us when we see sin advancing in this day and age that we live in your country is no different than ours I'm not standing making comments about your country I just talk about my own where we're, we, there's a great departure among the people who knew so much of the Bible that's the saddest thing the saddest thing I'm involved in the pl- what we call the plowing outreach there's national plowing championships that take place every year they were off there for two years because of COVID but take, out, take place down in Southern Ireland and we, we have a, a marquee we hire a marquee and seek to do outreach and you can see the difference in the desire among Roman Catholic people to have a Bible. And it lasts for three days, and there's, I think it was 262 uh, Bibles were, were taken. Not, we, they're free, and they're on the table, literature table, and people come in and ask for them. You wouldn't get two Bibles given out by home. People coming in and asking for a Bible. You'd be fortunate if you got two. You go home you know, thankful that the Lord is working and there's a desire for his word among these people. And then you, you think about your, the people that you live with them. And they have no interest, no desire in the word of God. And they've been so privileged in having it. There's, there's people down there and they've never had a Bible and they come in and tell you that. They come in and tell you they've never had a Bible. They've never had a Bible in their hand. And then you go back up to Northern Ireland and Protestant homes are full of things. And the dust is on them because they're never read. There's no interest in them. And because of that, there's a there's a growing tide of evil and iniquity. Sin is advancing on every hand. The worst of sins are advancing on every hand. And it grieves a Christian when that is happening. But notice the psalmist, the psalmist here is, is loving when it's righteousness that's ruling and reigning. 
giving praise here for an eternal throne and a scepter that is a right scepter that loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And thankfully Christ's throne is an eternal throne. It's an eternal throne. Our Saviour will be seen to be King of Kings and acknowledged as such one day. One day. Let's take verses 8 and 9 and look here at the splendour of his court. Because we read here about the garments that smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they make me glad. So we're thinking here about the, the royal court, the king upon his throne. And even how he, 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 he dresses, the smell that comes from his garments. Everything here makes the writer glad. He says, these things make me glad. I wonder tonight, if you were put in the spot, and I too, and we were asked the question, what makes you glad? What makes you happy? What, what would we say? How far up would these things be that the psalmist is speaking about? How far up the list would, would that be? If we were asked, what, what makes you glad? What, what makes you the happiest that you could possibly be? Because the psalmist here thinks about the king and even how the king appears in his dress and the smell that comes, these ivory palaces, everything about his court, and he sings, These these are the things that make me glad. Does Christ make us glad? Is he so upon the throne of our hearts today that he makes you glad? That you're glad to be seen, you're glad to belong to him. You're glad to rejoice in his word. You're glad to take comfort from these truths that yes, his throne is an eternal throne and one day it will be seen that he's king of kings and lord of lords and every name will die. Do those things make us glad? And then that will lead us on, God willing, tomorrow night to think about the, the people of his court because it says in verse 9, king's daughters were among thy honourable women on thy right hand to stand the queen in, in gold of, of over. Maybe I should have mentioned there, just in passing, about the Marinalos, about the what was used by Joseph and Nicodemus in the burial of Jesus Christ, because that's the particular smell that it's the smell of his death. When you go over to John's Gospel 19 and verse 39, and it says there, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And he embalmed the body of Christ for those things that are mentioned there in Psalm 45 and verse 8. The particular smell that is there that associated with death and burial. May, may Christ mean much to us. And as a result, I, I finish off where, where I started and with that challenge about does Christ then have our heart? That exhortation that is given to us in Proverbs 23 and 26 where it says, My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. And that's what the Lord would come tonight and say to each one of us. Give me thine heart. Let me sit upon the throne. Let me ruin your life. And may Christ be there. May every sin be dethroned. 
May every rival be removed. May Christ have, have complete sway. But it's his scepter that rules. Oh, for a life like that. That delights in Christ. And has him sitting upon the throne of our lives. If you're not saved, then may the Lord bring you to Christ tonight and subdue your spirit and bring you to his feet. And if we do know him, then let's rejoice in this king. Let's, let's tell others how great a king he is. That we may see others come and know him. May the Lord bless his word. Let's to all our hearts. Thank mm-hmm. you.